Just kidding. Um, <laughs> I did start out on bus one. I went from bus one to bus eight, went from bus eight to bus five, uh, went from bus five to bus four. And when we uh, were at uh, New Testament, the very first bus I bought, what number do you think I got? Bus four. You don't start with one. Anyways, um, I remember pulling up in the parking lot. My wife was like, you've got to be kidding me right now. And I done had it lettered. And uh, so I can't go back, you know. And uh, I'm telling you what, Burrito Brothers is awesome. Now we're getting, we getting real good, aren't we? And so I appreciate your preacher's kindness to us. Spanish church was wonderful. Uh, Brother Velasquez, I'm telling you, uh, that's one of the greatest Spanish pastors I've ever met. He's got energy. He loves the people. And uh, it was good to see someone saved this morning. And I've already mentioned all the families um, that are here tonight, and I'm very thankful for that. Um, Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to obey your pastor, okay? He wants my life story, and um, I'm going to share a little bit of that message at the end as far as the preaching part. Um, But I have quite a few things to say, and I know what time I've got to stop. And so um, I want to get in as much as I can, okay? So um, Philippians chapter 3, we're going to read the verses, and then I will come back to them at the end, okay? Philippians chapter 3, verse number 12 is where we're going to be at. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after. If that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let's go to Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you so much for the opportunity tonight. I know there's many people here. Father, one thing I don't want to happen tonight is me to get any credit for what you have done in my life. I want to lift your name on high. I want to give you the glory for everything that's been done. Every little avenue, every little detail in my life, you have orchestrated from the very birth. And so, Father, I pray that there may be someone here tonight that's broken, someone here tonight that's hurting. And I pray that it would be an encouragement to them of how good you are and what you can do with a broken life. Father, I pray that you be with my dear wife at home and my son, Josiah. Lord, I pray that you protect them. And Father, thank you again for the services today. Now be with us this very moment. Uh, Give me your spirit. Let it fall fresh in Jesus' name. Amen. Some of these events in my life that I'm going to be talking about to you tonight, I have heard from my mom who has gone on to heaven. And so um, some of the things uh, that I have heard and gone through um, will also be stuff that I've heard from other family members. So I want to start off by um, when I was born. Um, My mom was a size one. She was a tiny thing. And uh, when she got pregnant with me, I was 10 pounds. And when I was 10 pounds, I broke the embryo sac in my mother's womb. And when I broke the embryo sac before I was born, I became um, contracted with a lot of things. Um, When I came out, uh, immediately I was allergic to just all kinds of things. They had to put me in an incubator, or some people know as the boy in the bubble, whatever, but I was in a a little square box, according to my mom, and um, this was 1976, November 27th, right before, right after Thanksgiving, mom got a butterball, a real one, and um, if you, <laughs> and so what happened is I uh, contracted staph really bad. Uh, my mom could not touch me, according to her, for six months, and she would stand over the top of my plastic little container, and she would pray. And she would ask that the Lord would use me someday. My mom was not a Christian at that time. But that was her prayer. She said, please take care of my son. Do whatever it takes, but use him someday. And uh, after I got out of that, I was allergic to plastic. I was allergic to milk. I was allergic to everything but, hallelujah, green beans. Um, I had to drink soy milk. Um, There was... uh, I got ear infections really bad. They put plastic tubes in my ears and almost exploded my eardrums. They had to take them out and put um, steel 
um, uh, tubes back into my ears. Um, when I was at the age of one and a half to two, I won the chubby baby contest for Gerber. Hey, I'm known, amen? I was so fat as a child, and I'm not degrading anybody, that my mom literally had to take Q-tips, spread my skin apart, and wipe and clean the dirt out. I mean, I was chubby. I'm skinny now, y'all notice? <clears throat> but as I was growing up, and I will progress on, but as I was growing up, I, um, there was a time that I had a fever really bad. It got up to 104, and uh, my mom took me uh, to the doctor. And as we went to the doctor, the very doctor that I had did not know what to do. There was a doctor in his 80s that was walking by. His name was Dr. Betts. Dr. Betts went and grabbed me from all the nurses and the doctors and ran out of the room. My mom was there. She said, what are you doing? And he went to the ice machine, took a bucket of ice and put me in the bucket of ice. And he said, it saved my life. And I'm not a nurse, I'm not a doctor, I don't know what he did, but I'm glad I'm here, amen? And, uh, and <laughs> so, as I was growing up, there were some other things, I got really sick another time, they had to do a spinal tap on me. I hate needles, with a passion, I despise them, they are wicked from the devil. And um, actually I have a phobia, but I'm very scared of them. Um, went to get a knee surgery, they pulled out a needle, I passed out. They were done when I woke up, but it was awesome. <laughs> Um, so I do not like needles or clowns, but anyways, we're not going anywhere else. And then I met Will today and I was like, oh my goodness. So, uh, uh, but anyways, uh, as I was growing up in elementary school, um, I was very hyper. I had ADHD and DD and whatever you want to name to it. And, um, in second grade, uh, they told me that they were going to stick me in LD classes. I had a counselor there that was very big on medication at that time. Ritalin had just came out. And uh, she told my mom in a board meeting um, that your son cannot come to school unless he's on Ritalin. I was on Ritalin for a couple years, and my mom kept fighting it at the very beginning. We, she thought maybe, hey, this was a good idea. And I, Can I just say, I just needed a whooping. I don't mean to be controversial or anything. I got plenty of them. But anyways, um, just needed a couple more, it sounded like. They took me in LD classes. They put me in uh, classes with mentally handicapped children that could hardly even speak. I spent from second grade all the way to sixth grade in LD classes. They said I would never graduate high school. They said I would never get past junior high. I was mad. I was very upset because I could talk normal. I could do normal things. I loved athletics. Um, and so I wanted to play football in fourth grade. I began to play football. I played soccer. I played baseball, anything that was a contact sport. The reason why I wanted to have a contact sport is that was my way of getting anger out. I could hit a ball as hard as I could. I could take somebody and knock their head off in football. I could kick a soccer ball through the roof, whatever, right? Anything that I could use as a contact because I was trying to get my frustration out. It came to a time that my mom saw the after effects and side effects of Ritalin and she went back to the board and said, I'm pulling my son off Ritalin. The same uh, counselor there said, no, you cannot pull him off. And Mr. Anderson, a wonderful godly principal, I mean, my phone number was on speed dial. I got whooped so much with this man. I knew exactly what a pine cone looked like. I knew every aspect of it because they would put the pine cone in the chair and they say, all right, watch the pine cone. You're getting ready to get a swat. <laughs> Me and the pine cone became friends. But anyways, <clears throat> Mr. Anderson loved me. He saw something in me that nobody else did. He wasn't a Christian at that time. He stood up in that board meeting and he looked at Miss Butler and he said, Miss Butler, you cannot make a mother have their child on Ritalin. And they began to fight in the boardroom, fussing and yelling at each other. And another principal, Mr. Tillery, stepped in, and both of them said, "You cannot make her keep him on that. Keep keep him on that." And so, finally, uh, I came off of that. My grades started getting a little bit better. I became eligible for the very first football game I've ever been eligible for because my grades were so bad. It was in sixth grade to coach. I went to every practice, but one thing you could not do is play if you're ineligible. I got in my very first game. Coach looked at me and said, you're going to start and you're going to play in the entire game. You're going to play both ways today, Nolan. I was so excited. 
I went out there, and I don't know what I did, but I went crazy. (laughs) I got three fumble recoveries, two interceptions, and three sacks. I loved it. The only thing I didn't get was a touchdown. That was what I was really wanting, brother. Never got a touchdown in all my career. But after that, things started happening. Um, My mom started drinking. Alcohol became a part of our family. I grew up Lutheran. Uh, We went to church. We were holiday uh, religious. I don't want to say holiday Christians, even though there are some, but... Uh, We would go on the holidays, and I remember going to church one day, and my dad said, man, this is one blank of a day to be playing golf. And I got up to the line, and we're shaking hands, and I was probably about that high, and the priest, I don't know, what do you call them? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Clergy, there you go. He said, how are you doing? I said, well, my dad said it's a blank of a day to be playing golf. (laughs) I had no filter, folks. I had no idea. I knew that my pre- clergy person uh, from the Luther Church, I don't want to call him a preacher. I, I knew that he was at my house because when I started going into junior high and high school, you would open the refrigerator door and there was Budweiser and my parents didn't drink Budweiser. The very first time I noticed it, I opened the door and I said, hey, who's, who's drinking Budweiser? My mom came around and smacked me in the mouth. She said, hey, shh, the preacher's here. That's his. I wasn't saved at that time, but the response out of me was, I didn't think they were supposed to drink. I got smacked again. But anyways, alcohol started happening in our family. Um, My mom went to AA. I went to Al-Anon. I wrote uh, articles. Um, Seeing my mom, there was a time we joined the Elks Lodge. We were very heavy into the Elks Lodge. And as we were in the Elks Lodge, um, uh, my mom come out from an event she was so drunk that she was hanging over two ladies and I was standing in front of her. I came out of the pool and I looked at her and said, hey, mommy, how you doing? She goes, who's that? One time that my mom got drunk, we were on our way home from a friend's house and I was at the age of about 13 or 14. I literally, she passed out driving. So I had to reach over as a 13 year old boy and drive the car home with one leg. Alcohol became very serious in our family. My grandma moved in with us, with Grandpa, and he was on Prozac, and he drank also. He ended up having a prosthesis. He cut his leg off, and we lived on a farm. We had chickens, pigs, and cows, and um, all kinds of fish, and all kinds of fun stuff. But uh, they sold uh, the pigs, and that was my grandpa's little buddies. He'd go down and talk to them every day and hit them with his cane. He had a, a golf cart, and he would drive around teach me how to do all kinds of things, and They sold those pigs, and my brother was about to graduate, and uh, I was playing soccer that day, and um, my brother came and picked me up. Now, me and my brother, we fought all the time. He was three years older than me, and um, he would just beat me up just to make the girls proud of him for some reason, but it always worked out for me. But anyways, don't hurt him, you know, and... uh, (laughs) He came to pick me up. I didn't know why he was there. He had a firebird. I loved his firebird. And he said, hey, I want to take you to lunch. And I knew something was not right. My grandpa took a 12-gauge shotgun, stuck it in his mouth in the room next to me and killed himself. We had to take every gun, every knife, everything that could hurt somebody out of our house because my mom was trying to commit suicide herself. It was her dad. It was just a little bit after that that my other grandpa, he was an alcoholic. He drank a fifth of whiskey every single day. He tried stopping cold turkey, turned completely white. The doctor told him, you cannot. You're going to have to go back on alcohol. Your body cannot take it. About four weeks later, he came in the house. He had a sinus infection and... Um, he was living in a different area and he tripped over the door jam. And when he tripped over the door jam, he fell face first and he was so drunk that he threw up and then he drowned in his own throw up. I despise alcohol. I hate it with a passion. My brother was an alcohol. There were so many times that I would get beat up and things like that. But the older I got, And I started getting better grades, and so I started becoming a football star. I became a linebacker and a tight end, and I really excelled in it because there was nothing else I really cared about. And 
football became my God. Baseball became my God. Literally before football games, I, I, I had a cross that my grandma gave me. I would hold it and I would pray to football gods that they would give me a good hit or uh, give me something that day. I remember it very vividly. I would listen to heavy metal music and I would uh, back. You remember Walkmans? <laughs> I had a Walkman and I had a, I had a crunch course tape that I made of all kinds of wicked music and all kinds of stuff to get me pumped up for that game. And I would sit there and literally think to myself, how can I hurt someone tonight? I became so angry. Man, I started, I started playing in Friday Night Lights. If you know anything about Oklahoma, uh, football is a god in Oklahoma. A little G god, by the way. I became captain of a 5A football team in Oklahoma. That's, no, that, that's a hard thing to do. I played both ways. I played on every special team except one so I could get a drink. I still remember to this day some of the things I did in football. That brought forth a party life. The very thing that I despised, I started drinking. The very thing that I said I would never do, I started doing drugs. I didn't get real heavy into the drugs because I was scared that it would take away from my playing time. That's all the only reason why I stopped. Matter of fact, when we would get done with games on Friday nights, I would find the church that would say my name from the pulpit. It would be a Methodist church. It could be a, a Presbyterian church. And they would feed the football players. And I'm telling you, it was such an organization there that you would go to churches and they would sit there and just talk about the football players for 30 minutes and then they would probably give a five-minute ditty of a message. And I don't ever remember hearing Jesus one time. I remember some Mormons coming up to me at Sonic one time and I, and I threatened to kill them. I said, get out of here, I'm going to beat you up, I'm going to tear you up. I still remember that. As we got to that place, uh, I got to the last uh, game of uh, my football senior year and I came to that place and uh, I, was getting, I wanted to play at Oklahoma. I'm an Oklahoma Sooners fan. If you're anything else, I'm so sorry. But I wanted to play for OU. That was my goal. That was what I breathed. That's what I, I mean, I would work out and I'd, I'd wear OU clothes. I would have something in front of me that reminded me of Oklahoma University. I wanted to get there. My senior year, I went in for a tackle in the fourth quarter. Donnie Phillips was the biggest guy on our team and he happened to come across and we both hit the guy at the same time. But when he hit, he hit me, not him. And he blew my shoulder out. I thought everything was over, folks. I went to the doctor, got a couple things, tried to get some help, and I played that last. I played that last playoff game after that, and I, it hurt so bad. And I knew I'm scared of what needles. I wouldn't go and get cut on. I wasn't going to get it. So I thought to myself, maybe I'll wait a year or two. So me and my best friend Brian, I went up to Oregon, drove all the way down from Oregon. We played football together. He, he got transferred to Oregon with his dad. He moved back in with me into an apartment, and we split the cost of the apartment, and we worked out just crazy. And I was trying to build my strength up with my shoulder, and I was going to go try to play at NEO or uh, some of the local junior colleges so I could get to Oklahoma. Well, the coach Busby was my soccer coach as I was growing up. He found out that I blew my shoulder out and you don't need shoulders to play soccer. <laughs> he said, look, I'll give you a full ride scholarship if you'll come play soccer for me. I'll make you the captain of the soccer team. I know you're good at it. I said, yes, sir. I paid for my college. I was in criminal law and I was in, I was in criminal law and I was in English. I know it doesn't sound like I was in English. I know that. <laughs> but I started playing soccer. There was a young lady on the ladies' soccer team. When we would practice, we would practice on two different ends of the field. And when we got done, we would all go party. One night, there was one of those girls that never went to the party. I never really noticed it until the night she invited me. She said, hey, I want you to come with me. And uh, I want you to come have some pizza. And we're going to meet across the street at this church. And we're going to have a little youth rally. I said, no problem. I did not go for church. I love pizza, amen. <laughs> I went for the wrong reasons, folks. A girl invited me, and there was pizza. I remember that night so vividly, sitting back up towards the right side. It was obviously not this big, and 
There's quite a few people in the room. As a matter of fact, there was a guy by the name of Mike Nolan that sat next to me and played on the team. We heard the, the gospel that night for the very first time. I did. And uh, he preached a message on sunglasses for some reason. He was talking about hiding from God. And uh, he talked about two men going up a hill and one being left behind. And I thought to myself, huh, what's he talking about? He kept preaching and he kept going over and saying, hey, there's this thing called the rapture that's going to happen. And if you're not ready, you're going to die and go to a place called hell. And that was the first time I ever heard that. The very first time that I heard that, that night they gave somewhat of an altar call and I, I, I left my seat. Me and Mike Nolan left together, by the way. We came down to the altar, and that very same cross that my, mom, my grandma got me, uh, I held it up there, and I just asked God, God, please forgive me. Nobody came down. Nobody took me through the Romans road. Nobody said, hey, for all of sin and come short of the glory of God, and for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. No one ever said that God commendeth his love towards us, and while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. No one said, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Nothing of that. But I knew right then that I wasn't saved and I just asked Jesus, will you save me? I didn't know what to do. I didn't know, I didn't know the, the forms and all that stuff. I didn't know how to pray. I just asked him, God, will you save me? I don't want to go to hell. Listen, folks, please listen very clearly right now. When I got done, I went to that youth pastor that was preaching. He asked me two questions. He said, what would you do tonight? I said, well, I... I asked Jesus into my heart. I didn't know what to say. I didn't have all the lingo, right? He said, no, no, no. He says, uh, did you get the gift? Second question he asked me. And I said, well, sure. I don't know no theology. And I said, yeah, I got the gift. He said, oh, did you? He says, are you sure you got the gift? Because I was standing up there and I don't think you got the gift. I'm thinking to myself, what's he talking about? Now, remember, I grew up in a Lutheran church. Everything is all righty then. You don't move. You repeat everything that they say. And mom always told me, don't you ever, ever go to a charismatic church that speaks in tongues. I hope I'm not ruffling any feathers. Now, I'm not worried about it anyways. But uh, he asked this question. He says, no, did you get the gift of tongues? I said, no, sir. I knew better than that. Mama at least taught me that. He says, well, then you didn't get saved. I was saved about five minutes. I looked at that man in the face. I said, sir, I said, I know what I got and you need it. And I ran out the door. I was so mad because this was a major event in my life. All, everything that's happened, all the bad things, all the other things that had just been horrible in my life. I thought, hey, I finally made a change. And he told me no. The lady that invited me, she ran out the door with me. She said, stop, stop. And I said, no, I don't want anything to do with it. I can't believe it. I tried to make a change. She said, this is not my church. I was just trying to get you under the gospel. She said, I want you to come to church with me. That next week, they had a revival with Dr. David Gibbs. (laughs) I'm going to enjoy this. (laughs) David Gibbs preached the entire week. I got saved ten times. I remember the very first night. I went down to the altar. I, again, didn't know where... The plan of salvation was definitely given. And there was a man that met me there at the altar. We had altars at that time that were wooden altars that were out there. And a gentleman by the name of David Mann met me at the altar. David Mann, I believe, lives in Goldsboro now. Uh, I was in Oklahoma. And I went down and we were talking. And he went through the plan of salvation with me. I said, no, no, no. I did that last week and someone told me I didn't. He said, according to God's word, if you did that last week, you're saved. I went to the right place. (laughs) I started going to church there and started finding out some things that I never knew. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to serve. But I did know I grew up on a farm. I know how to work with these. I know how to fight with these. But I can do something with these. 
because I definitely ain't got it up here. They put out a mowing list out in the vestibule up there and the preacher got up and he said, hey, we got a mowing list out there for the summer. Uh, If people would like to volunteer and help mow, uh, I would appreciate that. And he just went on and I thought to myself, hey, I know how to mow. I know how to weed eat. I mean, I grew up on a farm. I don't like it, but I know how to do it. I want to do something for God. And, And folks, please understand my heart. I did not go out there to get a pat on the back. I went out there and I grabbed someone's pen. There was 25 slots on there and I put my name on all 25 slots. And I promise you, it was not for a braggadocious thing. I didn't know what else to do. I couldn't do anything else that I, at least I thought. That night I came back to church. Pastor got up and he had that piece of paper in his hand. I was like, what in the world? He said, folks, Nolan has signed up on every week of mowing. I've never had people sign up more than five times. And he's not even a member of our church. He began to preach a message after that. I don't remember everything, but it wasn't good for the other people. I just remember that. (laughs) But I didn't know what to do, folks. I really didn't. And I wasn't trying to to get some kind of men-pleasing ways of doing stuff. I just wanted to do something. I began mowing. That was the very first thing I started doing. And right after I got saved, my parents had been married for 27 years. I was moved back in. I moved out of Brian, uh, the apartment with Brian. I moved back home and my parents were there. And it was just a little bit after maybe two or three months. I don't know the exact timeline. But I came into my room and there was an envelope sitting on my lamp. And it said my nickname on it, which is none of your business. I opened that up. There's a five-page letter in there. So listen, folks, my, my family was tight-knit. We weren't, hey, we were nuts and we weren't screwed on the right bolt. I've got the right bolt now. But let me tell you something. We, we loved each other. Never saw my parents really fight in front of me. And she wrote a whole letter that she's not coming back home, that she left with another man. It was the very first trial I ever had in my Christian life. I went to call the pastor. The pastor had taken, they had a Christian school there. They'd take the, the seniors out and they took them on a, a cruise or something like that. They took them somewhere for a senior trip and I had nobody to talk to. I called a friend. He knew I'd gotten saved. He wasn't saved himself, but I knew that he's a big old teddy bear, so I wanted to call him. He had been part of our family. Um, his, his nickname was Baby Huey. <laughs> he was huge, big dude. And we spent some time together that night. This is the first time that I didn't go to a beer or go to something to ease my pain in conscience. He had no scriptural advice for me. He just said, hey, you know you're saved. You're going to have to trust in the one you believe. That's what he told me. I called my dad on the phone. I said, dad, mom's gone. What's going on? I don't know what's going on. What's going on? I was in a panic. I didn't know that there was things throughout the entire life of my life that had happened there had been adultery there had been all kinds of things that I never knew about my mom never came back she married another man we lived on a 52 acre farm we had an Olympic sized swimming pool we had a 2,200 square foot house with all cherry wood cabinets we had a formal dining room formal living room we had everything And within about two months, we lost it all. I went from a 2,200-square-foot house with a a 50-acre farm to a 400-square-foot house with maybe not even 0.2 of an acre in the middle of the projects in Tulsa, Oklahoma with my dad. This time was going on. God was dealing with my heart about something I knew I did not want to do. God was dealing with me about being a preacher. I was weed eating still and mowing and I came in one day and I broke the weed eater. I was very frustrated. It was very hot. And I called the music man, Brother Donnie. Donnie took me over to his house, got me some lemonade and I said, hey man, can I use the bathroom? He said, sure. I walked down this hallway and when I walked down this hallway, it was plastered with pictures of preachers and pastors 
on his side and on her side, his wife's side. I stopped in the middle of the hallway, forgot why I was going, where I was going, and I began to weep uncontrollably. He came around the corner. He's like, what's wrong? What's wrong? He thought I'd hurt myself or something. I said, I don't have any of this. I have none of this. I have none of this. I can't do it anymore. I thank God for that man. Don't know where he's at today. But he looked at me. He says, stop. He said, it's got to start somewhere. It's got to start somewhere. He didn't know God was dealing with my heart. I went back over to the vestibule and I left the weed eater there, started fixing it. And a guy walks in the door. His name was Hamet Patel. He was a missionary from India. If you knew Hammett, man, he was wild. He was awesome. He looked at me and goes, hey, man, what are you doing? And I was like, fixing a weed eater. I didn't know who he was. He goes, hey, man, is God calling you to preach? That was our introduction. I didn't even know the man. I was scared to death. I left the weed eater and everything, got in my car and drove off. I seriously did. Matter of fact, I got a phone call from the preacher. He said, hey, uh, you left the weed ear and everything in here. We got service tonight. You got to come up here and clean it up. And I was like, oh, yeah. He, he was smarter than I was. <laughs> I went back up there and I, was getting, I started getting everything cleaned up. And he came and said, hey, you know service starts in 45 minutes. You might as well stay. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I guess. I sat in that back row and Hammett Patel began to preach. I don't know if you've ever heard this man preach. This man's testimony is unbelievable. A a dog come in and urinated on one of his little gods in India. He said, man, my God didn't take that. And he started searching and got saved. Now he's a missionary doing all kinds of stuff. But anyways, that night he preached and I came to the altar. I said, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I surrendered my life. I said, I'll preach. Well, I was already 60-some hours into regular college. And I was living with my dad, and I was the only thing he had. Because my mom had left, and everything was gone. And I came home that day. I said, Dad, God's called me to preach, and I'm going to Bible college. He said, God didn't give you a right to preach. You don't have a right to have a call. We began to argue for the very first time that I ever really had a real argument with my dad. And he got so mad and he yelled at me. And my dad had never really yelled at me like that way. And I thought, maybe God isn't calling me to preach. I don't know. I was working at Ramsey Winch at that time. And I was going to church on uh, Sundays. And my, my thing with my dad is we watch Broncos football every Sunday of our life. That was something me and dad did. I didn't stay for the game that day. I went to church that night. My dad got really upset with me. He says, you're not going to stay and watch the Bronco games? John Elway's going to be tearing it up tonight. I said, Dad, i got to go to church. He says, you've got to work tonight. You need to sleep. Because I was working nights. I said, Dad, I've I, I got to go to church. I went to church that night. I got out of church and I came home. I slept for like 35 minutes, maybe 40 minutes. I got in dad's truck and I went to work at Ramsey Winch. Three times that night, I almost stuck my hand all the way through a bore because I fell asleep at my machine. On the way home, this is how God protects us. We don't even expect it. There's four lanes of traffic. I fell asleep and my head hung out the door. I went across four lanes of traffic in the middle of a church, Baptist church parking lot. I don't remember the name of the church. But all I remember is when my truck hit the telephone pole, I I went like that. And the pole went right by my head. My dad was so mad at me. What he didn't know is that the secretary that was working for him actually went to church with me. He fussing at the secretary. My son wrecked and told him my truck. I can't. I told him to stay home. I told him not to go to church. And she looked at him and said, aren't you glad he's not dead? Aren't you glad because he did go to church, God protected him? He didn't like that answer. <laughs> my dad came to the final service before I was to leave to Bible college. I said, Dad, would you please, just please turn your life over to God. Get saved. And he got really mad at me. 
My dad is a, my hero. He's a Vietnam vet. He says, you have no idea what I've been through, son. He says, I've seen things that you'll never, I will never tell you that I've done. He said, but I've changed. I'm a successful businessman. You want me to change? I have changed. He slammed the door and he left me. I got in a car and I drove to North Carolina. I went to a Bible college that I had never seen, knew nothing about until I pulled up on campus. I pulled up on campus the very first time in my life I had structure, I had rules, and I enjoyed them. I, 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 was, I was in my 20s, and there was a bunch of little kids in there from home schools and Christian schools, and I was getting really frustrated because they complained about every little thing. And I was like, man, what are you talking Why are you complaining, man? I finally have to be in by 10 o'clock. This is amazing. I mean, this is great. I get to dress up every day. I get to wear a tie. I was so excited. And they thought I was crazy. Matter of fact, I was so excited about what God had done in my life. I would walk around campus and I would let people know I was praying for them. I would say, hallelujah, thank you, I praise the Lord. They, and the vice president of the college came to me and said, hey, you need to calm it down a little bit. My first squelching among Christians. He says, you need to calm down just a little bit. I didn't know what to think about that. When I went to Bible college, my dad said he would not support me, so I went with no money. I got a job. I, didn't, I knew how to work, so I started working. God started providing for my bills. There were several times that I would go down to the piano room in the cafeteria, and I would just sit there and pray and ask God to provide money from somewhere because I didn't have anything. I started my first class in the Gospel of John. I want you to understand I wasn't saved that long when I went to Bible college, so I have no idea anything that I was learning. He started off with a devotion. He says, I want you to open your Bible to the book of Job. I was sitting at my desk, being a good student. I went to the front, couldn't find it. The guy next to me was a church planner's son. He looked at me and says, hey, Look for a job. I think I saw that. Hold on. I went to job. This is, this is not, I'm not lying, folks. I didn't know who Jonah was. I didn't know that a whale could swallow a man. I literally went to the front and found Job. I found job. There was a man in that Bible college that took me under his wing and discipled me because I had never been discipled. I failed my first three classes in Bible college. I crammed all four years into six. It was awesome. <laughs> they put me in systematic theology my first semester. <laughs> it was January 19th. I called my mom on the phone. And I took this Bible. It's been rebound. It's all tore up inside. But at the very front of this Bible... January 19th, 1999, at 11 o'clock at night, I got permission to get the curfew off my phone because I got burdened about my mom getting saved. I had a friend with me. His name was Robert Ketchum. Robert Ketchum put out the ironing board. He put out four Bibles. I'd never led anybody to the Lord. And he walked me through it as I led my mom to the Lord. I went from Romans chapter 3. He took me over here and, uh, all right, read this passage of Scripture. And, and he said, read this passage of Scripture. And then we went, went back over here and he had another roommate. He was flipping pages for me. And I, I was just going from one to next, one to next. And i I'll never forget, I told my mom, I said, Mom, I said, I'm going to heaven. And I said, there's one day that I want your mansion to be next to mine. So if I ever need some brown sugar, and I don't know why I said brown sugar outside of I love chocolate chip cookies. I said, I want to be able to go across the street and ask you for it. She began to weep. My mom got saved over the phone that night. It's the first soul I ever led to the Lord. And by the way, when you lead somebody to Christ, I'm telling you, it becomes contagious. I thought I'd started thinking about it and the, I thought about how the Spirit of the Lord had come upon me and asked me to preach and wanted me to tell the gospel to as many people as possible. I went home for Thanksgiving and there's times in your life that you have weaknesses and you 
do things that you shouldn't do. And we went and played turkey bowl. Of course, I love football. It was full contact football without pads. Don't ever do it. We went out there in front of the church and we invited a bunch of people that were lost. And I looked at the guy next to me who was supposed to be, to be, be a preacher. I said, hey, I said, hey, Jason, I said, man, why don't you pray before we get started? There's a bunch of lost people out here. He says, I'm not praying. You pray. I said, I'm definitely not praying. I'll never forget that. You know why? Because that day, Jason was on the other team. We hit head on and my foot and my cleat stuck in the ground and my whole body went this way. And all I heard was a pop. It was the first time that I blew my knee out. It was going to be a series of events that God would put me on my back so I had no place but to look but up. Six surgeries later and now today, I have a total knee replacement at the age of 44 or 45. Constantly, there was times that I wanted to do sports more than God. And God kept reminding me, I guess I'll have to put you back on your back again. I want you to look at me. After mom got saved, uh, things started getting better. I came back because I had to have knee surgery. And I left my car at home and I was going to borrow a ride for the people in college. And this was the very first time I had an opportunity. Uh, My roommate was on the bus routes. I said, hey, man, I need a ride to church. Uh, I don't have my car today. And he said, yeah, I'll take you with me. I went on the bus. It was bus number one, Brother Faison. I remember going that day. Brother Faison took me out on this route. It was hot. It was nasty, man. It was hot. That was back when they had the stick shift bus. You can hear them grinding and everything. We get to this one neighborhood right past the Bible college, and it's a, it's a, it's a trailer park. And we get in there, and all of a sudden, smoke just starts coming out the front. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, first day, we're already broke down. I call him Papa Face, and so I'll use his name. Papa Face and looked at me. He says, "Hey, you a preacher boy?" And I was like, "No." He said, "Yeah, right." <laughs> he says, "Aren't you going to Bible college to be a preacher?" And I was like, "Yeah." He said, "We're going to be here for forty-five minutes. Go ahead and preach to him. I'll sing two songs. You'll be ready, right?" I know I've been told to be ready to preach, pray, and die in a moment's notice, but I was not ready. I was ready to die. (laughs) I pulled out my Bible. I didn't know any other verse but John (laughs) 3.16. I don't even know what I preached. But I do remember three kids got saved that day on the bus. It began to get my heart. I was in the nursing home for our uh, Christian service, and I got transferred over to the bus And I started getting into the bus ministry. And man, I'm telling you, the bus ministry changed my life. I was seeing kids that had no hope. And you're able to give them hope. And you're able to do all kinds of things to try to help them get out of the situation they're in. By the way, today I want you to know there's hope for anybody in this room. There's hope of Jesus Christ. No matter where you've been, don't matter what you've been through. Doesn't matter if you've been on the drugs. It doesn't matter if you've been on the alcohol. It doesn't matter what side of the tracks you come from. It doesn't matter if you're red, yellow, black, or white. You're all precious in His sight. Look, He died for every single person in this room. It doesn't matter if you stink. It doesn't matter if you look good, look bad. It doesn't matter. He died for you. Jesus loves you. And I thought about that over and over again started getting highly involved in the bus ministry. I, my wife, uh, that next year, came to Bible college. The very first person she met when she came on campus is yours truly. Boy, she chased me everywhere. I said, no! You know, I can't do that. I'll be lying in here. Anyways, I chased her everywhere. <laughs> you know what? We became friends first. I taught her everything she knew about the bus ministry. At that time, we're on bus number five. I was dating somebody at that time, actually. We started, we were friends. We went on bus visitation together. I remember the day that my wife came to a door. There was a little Gabby. Gabby was at the door, and um, we, Heather went and knocked on the door, and Gabby couldn't come because she didn't have any shoes. And my wife took her shoes off right there on the front door. She left her. She said, I'm going shoeless today. Gabby's going with me without them. My wife rode the entire bus route for the rest of the day with no shoes. Gabby got saved that day. 
as a, we were in service, I know that you're not supposed to skip church, but the bus driver went and bought shoes for Gabby. I don't know where Gabby's at today, but I do know that my wife loved that little girl. We started, I, I saw her, my wife's heart for kids and man, it was just amazing. I said, man, that's the kind of girl I need. Someone that loves the bus ministry. We started dating and the rules at the colleges, you cannot court and be on the same bus. So I went to the best bus, bus number four. Best number, bus number four was the greatest one ever. It became, my wife and I are serious competitors. I, I got my first date with my wife because I beat her in basketball. I said, make it, take it. She said, I don't care, I'll beat you. I said, okay, 11 to 1. I stood under the basket. I'm six foot. She's this tall. I was great. I didn't let her shoot. Make it, take it, right? I'm not dumb. Come on. I don't know if basketball's a sissy sport, but man, I was getting that date. So I went to bus four. We became very competitive at each other. We would come and we we had this little whiteboard in Jason's office and we'd have to fill it out and everything. And we'd come in there and I'd sit there and just wait. I wanted her to put her number up first. I had to be at Sunday school class with Brother Mike, Mike Lindsay. Bless his heart, he's in heaven today. Miss, Miss Lindsay's right here. Faithful bus driver for years. Anyways... Uh, <laughs> I sat there and I'd wait. Jason get mad at us to say, I don't care what your numbers are, go to class. So we'd have to write them up there and take off. Came to our last time and me and my wife got engaged on uh, New Year's Eve at a youth conference. I, I got engaged on a bus. I did. I had my bus driver take the bus and Miss uh, Brother Bill and Miss Gale. I, I took Rose, ladies, watch out. I took roses all the way from the front doorstep all the way to the bus. And then I put red roses all the way across the seats. And at the very back, knight in shining armor on one knee. Everything was red until she got to the back and I had the white rose with the ring. They were filming the whole thing. I asked her to marry me that night. We were serving at Pastor Raven's church. I, I call him my Elijah. <laughs> we got engaged that night and... When I graduated Bible college, I had nobody call me to go serve in their church. It was a deflator because I worked hard. Matter of fact, I was, it was kind of, I didn't know what to do because I won the Christian Service Award. That means I won the most souls to the Lord out of everybody in the entire college combined in one year. And I didn't have one person call me to come work with them. I was like, what in the world? I work hard and I didn't do it for numbers. It was just amazing what happened. Graduation day. I had to make a 79 on my final exam. The professor came to me and said, Nolan, you made a 77. You can't graduate. I was in my cap and gown. My parents were there, everything. He said, but but thank God we had to have a curve today because nobody made a 100. You're going to graduate. Hmm. I must hasten, brother. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, um, we started serving the bus ministry, and God opened up the door to be with my preacher, Ken Jackson, who's here tonight. I remember talking to him the very first time. I said, I heard you're going to plant a church. Uh, uh, Johnny Pike told me about his wife being a bus kid, and uh, he had a heart for souls, and that's what I wanted to be a part of. I asked him. I called him. I said, hey, I want to help you plant this church. He said, hey, son, this is what I'm going to, yeah. <laughs> He told me, he said, I don't think so. The arm of flesh will fail you every time. I was like, I just said I want to come help you, and you told me no. We talked. I know he prayed about it. I know now. I called him back again. He said the exact same thing. Arm of flesh will fail you every time. I wouldn't stop bugging him. I guess he finally figured out that I was serious. I remember the first time I met him up in Burlington, North Carolina. He had knocked probably 100, 200 doors that day. I walked in, I realized what I was getting into because he was sitting in a recliner. He was like this. He had his feet in Epsom salt. <laughs> and he was just like, he was about done. I got there, I drove two hours to get there and I was working with Brother Brian Frazier and um, as soon as I got there, we went and knocked more doors. He goes, give me just a second. Miss Terry made her wonderful spaghetti. I ate spaghetti and then we took off out to the doors and, and 
And the guy just got up like he, nothing happened. He started knocking doors again. God started doing some great things. I had my final big bus day at Beacon Baptist. We were engaged. And um, Brother Jason said, you can have as many as you want. How many buses you want? I said, four. He said, you want four? I said, I want four. I want to break 300. Had 304 on my bus route. My wife. I think she had 260, 270, but they did these things on averages. I don't like averages. I just like numbers when it comes to that. You you probably agree with me on this, right? (laughs) She had more averages, so she got super bus. We made a deal with each other. On our last big bus day, whoever won super bus, if it was one of us, that we would get married. When we got married, we would leave on that bus. I left on bus number five. We got married. We didn't get a limo. We wanted to go where we had our heart. We left on a bus. God started doing great things. We 2004, April 4th, we had our grand opening Sunday. After knocking about 10,000 doors in a month um, with, with help from other people, we planted uh, uh, the church there in Burlington, North Carolina. God started doing great things, but it was our first step of faith. Matter of fact, the, the week I got married, I went on a honeymoon to Pigeon Forge. We were in Pigeon Forge. We had two days left, and we ran out of money already. I didn't have a job. Matter of fact, I was transitioning jobs and I remembered that, hey, wait a second, I think there's a check in the glove compartment. It was enough money to get us gas to go back home. That was our beginning of a walk of faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. You have to have faith. Over and over again, God started doing things, and I'm going to progress a little bit quicker. But we got an apartment. I didn't even have a job. I I got a job at Carswell Business Systems, and Carswell Business Systems, they hired me. I was there. I was one of their best sales reps, and they had this Christmas party. And every year at the Christmas party, everybody got up on the staircase, and they held a glass of wine, and they took a picture, and they did it every single year that they've had Carswell Business Systems open. I looked at them. I said, I am not holding a glass of wine. I will hold a can of Pepsi. I got fired for that. I was on vacation December 24th, right before Christmas. I got the phone call that I've been fired. They made up some crazy thing, and I found out the original reason. Somehow, Brother Mike Lindsay, who's in heaven today, he found out about it. On the 26th, he gave me a call. He says, I got a job for you when you get back. Christian businessman, him and his wife. I know they tolerated me because I was just obnoxious. But God provided, folks. God provided. My son was born in 2006. We were uh, 20 some hours of labor. My wife went through it. We went through an emergency C section. I was working one job, and we decided that my wife would stay home and raise our kids. I was making $11 an hour. I could not pay for my son. He's still expensive. God provided every penny of it. We started going on and I was working at UPS. I got free insurance there. I built a house with the help of the Lindsay's. I got all my stuff at cost and then the housing market crashed in 2008. The Lindsay's were affected majorly, and then I was working for them. I had a vehicle that they allowed me to use. I, I lost my house, and I lost my vehicle. Had someone come up to me and meet me at Food Lion in Burlington and said, Hey, I need you to sign something. We got in there, and uh, I found a penny in the parking lot. And an old preacher used to say, If you, God can't trust you with a penny, he won't trust you with a million. So I always pick up pennies. I don't care if it's heads or tails. That day, I'm glad I picked up a penny. We went... He says, I need you to sign this. He had a title to a car. He says, I know you don't have a car anymore, so I'm going to give you my car. The lady said, well, you cannot do that without a transaction. And he looked at me and goes, you got anything on you? I didn't have anything. I didn't have a job at that moment. I said, well, I found a penny in the parking lot. I said, that's perfect. Let's do it. God gave me a job just a little bit after that. I started working. Um... Uh, 2008, after that, sorry, I'm trying to progress here. 
Uh, I didn't know what God was doing behind the scenes, but I moved from a house that I lost into a rental. That rental had no lease on it. She was a deacon's wife. Her name was Molly. Miss Molly said, hey, you may answer a call to be a pastor and you'll need to move someday, so I'm not going to put a lease on you. I was like, yeah, right, I ain't going to be no pastor. I thought, we'll take the house. I didn't know what God was doing. 2009, my wife had total kidney failure. We had no idea what was going on. We thought she was pregnant. We were trying to have another child. We went to the Burlington Hospital. They did a couple of ultrasounds because I couldn't find out some things. And uh, I remember the ultrasound guy. He's sitting there doing this, and he stops, and his eyes go. Poof. I'm like, that don't look good. And he kept going back and forth and back and forth, and he said, I'll be right back. He went and got the doctor, and I was like, something ain't right. Found out my wife had a horseshoe kidney in her Urethra tubes were upside down. They're coming out of the top of her kidneys and her kidneys were backwards and it was all one kidney. He said, oh, you got a horseshoe kidney. You're going to be just fine. You guys go ahead and go back home. From the wisdom of that man over there, he said, son, two things you don't mess with. Major organs, you go get a second opinion. It just so happens, I don't like using that word because God knows what's going on. I went to Duke University. The number one diagnostic doctor for kidneys was at the hospital that day. Found out Heather was having a, had horseshoe kidneys, so they went and did this renal scan, and I think it was three days later they said, you're going to have to go into emergency surgery. Your kidneys are shutting down. She was the first robotic surgery. I don't know if you know anything about uh, medical field, but when you use the word robotic, that's an instant $100,000. I was making $11 an hour. <laughs> I remember going down to the finance office after she was done. They told me the bill was somewhere into two to three hundred thousand. It was crazy. And she says, So, sir, how do you want to pay for this? And I just kind of looked at her. I was like, Ugh. I said, I'll have to pray about that. <laughs> she said, Well, sir, we just need to know what you're going to do to pay for it. I said, Ma'am, I, I said, I can't. I don't know what to do. I'm going to do my best, but my wife's alive. That's all that matters to me. She said, fill out this paperwork. And I said, yes, ma'am. And I filled out the paperwork. We left, uh, I think, three or four days later. On the way out, the, the finance lady caught me in the hallway at Duke University. Have you ever been to Duke University? It's massive. She caught me, she caught me in the little area of the welcome center. She said, sir, I wanted to give you your bill before you left. And I was like, oh, great. I thought I could avoid it, right? <laughs> Had a zero balance on it. God paid that bill. It wasn't anybody that I knew. It was some kind of thing that they did, and we didn't have to pay a dime of it. Matter of fact, we had to go in a couple months later to do these tests and stuff like that. We got paid to go to the doctor. It was awesome because we would pay our copay and they would send it back. Man, God was so good. God gave me a job at CentOS, and I worked up the ladder, and God just did some amazing things. Um, I, I had to get the, 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 the car went out on me. I got another truck and for a penny. <laughs> it's got 337,000 miles on it today, and I'm still driving it. Thankful for it. God gave us that truck. Fast forward, uh, God started calling me to be a pastor in 2015. I said no. I told my pastor finally, six months after God had been dealing with me, I said, I believe God wants me to be a pastor, but I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to stay and serve you because that's what God called me to do. I still remember the conversation. He said, either you go be a pastor or God's going to kill you. It's your choice. I was like, I'm not ready to die yet. Started praying. We had a tour group come in. Pastor told the guy, the head leader of the group, hey, uh, my son, or my son, well, son of the Lord, amen. Amen. <laughs> He said he's wanting to be a pastor. And I uh, got a phone call to Missouri. Went and tried out the church. Um, when I got done trying out the church, um, uh, they voted on us. They voted on us and one family said no. My wife was praying for 100%. I came back inside. I said, babe, we got 97%. We're going. Because I told her anything over 93, I'm going to go. And y- you husbands know when your wife looks at you and says, that's great. You know something ain't right. I'm thinking to myself, what was wrong? 
So I told the guys, I left him. I was on a conference call. I said, hold on a second. I left him on the back of my truck. I went back and said, I said, baby, what is wrong? She says, I was praying for 100%. I thought to myself, come on. It don't have to be perfect. I was on my way out the door, and all of a sudden, I started hearing this screaming. Woo! Woo! Hope you're awake now. Uh, <laughs> I went back inside. I was like, what's wrong? She goes, we're going. We're going. The youth pastor's wife texted my wife before I even knew what was going on. That person that voted against us called us back in and said, it's not a, it's not a good idea to, to hold the old pa- what the old pastor did over this new pastor. I turned my vote to yes. Amen. <laughs> I was like, hallelujah. So we went 2016, October 2nd. 100% vote, 68 in attendance, very first day we were there. An 1884 building, you walk up and you walk down and there's no stairs. It was sinking into the ground. We started winning people to the Lord. As a matter of fact, I've won six people to the Lord before while we were on the uh, trying out there. And they had, I went to open up the baptistry, folks. The baptistry had water in it from probably eight months ago. There's mold all over it, so I had to take the whole thing, drain it, take it outside and clean the whole thing. Within the second week, I think we had uh, 10 baptized. The people thought I was crazy. I asked them a question. They owned some property, and it was right off the highway. Brother's been there. It's a billboard of its own. I said, what would it take to build a building on that, on that lot over there? Well, the former pastor before me embezzled over $60,000. I had to deal with that as a new pastor. I'd never pastored before. You all remember that. I started October 2nd. I asked him the second week of October what was going on. He said, if we had $100,000, he said, I think we'd be interested in trying to start a building because we've always wanted to do it. We've got 300 already in the bank. I said, okay, we'll have it by the end of the year. The guy looked at me and said, you've lost your mind. When you live and breathe and die at a church plant, everything's by faith. We started praying. We started asking guys. And November 13th, three weeks later, four weeks later, on November 13th, with 68 people in service, we took up an offering for $148,000. I don't have doctors. I have rednecks. I got farmers. I got people who believe in God. Dr. Tom Williams came for our grand opening Sunday, or not our grand opening, our groundbreaking service, and we had a tent revival out there. It rained us out, man. It was crazy. Just storm come in. I'd never done a tent revival. And that last day we went out there, we took up an offering for $54,000. I started calling pastors, getting wisdom. They said, build. If God's doing that, build. So we started stepping out on faith. We started building. Right after we started building... January 2017, I had 23 families walk out of our church. That was over 17% of our budget just walked out the door in the middle of a building program. On top of that, my mom passed away. The best friend I've ever had outside of my wife. I wanted to quit. I was done. People were saying things about me that were not true. I had accountability everywhere. Everything was proven in a big church meeting. I had Dr. Uh, Brother Randy Dignan come in and do the whole thing. Matter of fact, the night that he was there, the person that caused all the problems was at his church. I was like, good luck with that. I'm, I'm almost done. Gentleman, my pastor, is, he's in uh, Providence Road Baptist Church. His name's Lee McNeil called me at 11 o'clock at night. He called another man. Folks, I was really done. I was done. He flew me out to Virginia to get me some help. I went to the prayer meeting. Brother Harold Vaughn. Brother Harold Vaughn took me under his wing. I just started praying. For, I mean, literally just praying for me. I turned my life around, folks. Prayer changed my life that night. I was there for three days, and it was just a, a shower of love. We went into the new, new building. Our very first service we had was on a Friday because the air conditioner broke down in the middle of July. Was, <laughs> we had an RU service for our very first service. Hallelujah for that. <laughs> we had an addictions program service at that time. It was called RU. It's Hope now, but it was June 29th. We were preparing for our grand opening service, so we got to hit the ground running on September 9th. We had 400 in attendance for our grand opening service. 
I praise God for that. The, the catering of the meal, the bank paid for the entire thing. The bank has given us, listen to this, the bank has given us over $10,000 in different things at our church. That's the kind of relationship we have with our bank. Every single year they give us a Christmas offering for $5,000 or $2,000. And we are able to go and give Christmas to people who can't. Trials and victories. Trials come after victories. I told you all, who was in Sunday school with me this morning? Raise your hand. Remember I told you a story about Joe Lebo? Joe Lebo came, helped me out at the church. January 2nd, 2021 at 12.54 p.m., Joe Lebo died. He's at the age of 47. That was my Jonathan. I'd never lost somebody that close outside of my mom. I didn't know what to do. But I knew God was still on the throne. God's still moving in our church today. I've been to Australia on a mission trip with my son when he turned 13. We're getting ready to go to Africa in October because of my son's abilities and the things that he does and God has used his life he shared his testimony in the teen class and he went to raise support and his support was raised in a week and a half for two thousand dollars boom I said son you know that God wants you to do it the rest of our family we had to raise eight thousand dollars for us to go to uh, go to Africa and we have another family going with us he's a sat- he was a former Satanist he got saved two years ago He's getting ready to be our first church planner out of our church. His entire family got saved. He's going to go to Africa with us, and I'm thankful for it. Folks, I say all this. This is the Bible verse. I'm not going to preach a message, but I'm going to tell you why this verse I read to you. If you'll go back to your Bible, I'm done. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling in God and Christ Jesus. Folks, all the trials, the things I've ever faced, put them behind me. All the victories I've put behind me. And I'm going to press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling in Jesus Christ. The greatest decision ever made in my life is accepting Christ as my personal Savior. Folks, God can use anybody. God can use anybody. I graduated Bible college. I wasn't even supposed to graduate high school. I took my diploma back and gave it to my principal. He took it. He went into that counselor's office that said that I had to be on Ritalin. He hung up the phone on her as she was on the phone and took the, the, uh, uh, the diploma and slapped it on her desk and said, you lost another one. Listen, folks, God can save your soul. Change your life if you'll just believe that he can. Sing it with me. It is no secret what God can do, what He's done for others, He'll do for you. With arms wide open, He'll pardon you. It is no secret what God can do. Bow your head for just a moment. If you're born again, you know you're